Yeah. In the early afternoon. Okay. Howdy, folks. Hello. It's Oliver Cronk. Hello. Hi. I'm doing, my, I'm doing my winding thing. Sorry. Your watch really dodgy, doesn't it? But it does look dodgy. Okay. People get fired for this. <laughs> you see, my, my point of view is changing. It's not just it my arm moving. <laughs> are, are you raising the desk or your chair? What's going on? He's lowering I'm, I'm, the I'm, I'm actually raising myself. It's the How's that? Does it go like this? Kind of. Yeah, the, I was going to say, like, the, the stairs. We all take the elevator. Mine's too low to pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Oh, I see we have Billy's Chowder House. By the way, do you know about oh. Billy's Chowder House? Right off Route One. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm falling for your, uh, for your thing. This, this is our customer conference that's coming up. So oh, awesome. Yeah. When is that? Uh, I, sh I should know that as soon as I just tried to plug it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chris Lockhart. Welcome to another episode of Consulting Saying Things. Um, I've got with me Phil Yanoff, Wendy Keene, and Oliver Kronk. Uh, we're talking today about the future of consulting. Um, you know, clearly, obviously, COVID had an impact on the consulting business and continues to evolve through that. But like, there were a lot of changes underway well before COVID came along. And you know, things with you know younger people, Gen Z coming into the workforce and their expectations about how they're supposed to do their work, client expectations around you know how things should be delivered. You know, the old way of sort of cost plus or time and materials versus you know fixed fee versus value based um, outcomes and all of those different things have been changing how consulting is has been done. And I think there's really some question whether the large firms are leading or playing catch up or what they're actually doing in that space. And so I think it would be an interesting topic, guys, to talk about like, well, you know, what, what does that look like? What do we think that looks like based on our experience? And then also, as Phil would say, what does it mean to the cat on the ground, right? That is living and breathing this and how do they position themselves for what that looks like out into the future? So I wanted to talk about that. Um, you know, there's all you have to do is Google the future of consulting, and there's a gazillion articles that come up, and everyone, you know, from you know Clay Christensen, like all the way to like uh, uh, you know, you know, consultancies themselves, right, coming up with here's what we think that looks like. Um, but there's so there's a lot out there, so we should add to that noise, right? And I think we should <laughs> we should position ourselves as experts on this subject. So um, with that, I mean. What do you, what do you think, Oliver? You, I know you've worked sort of big four. What, what's, what's your take on this? Uh, you know, so before the pandemic, I, I spent three years, uh, yeah, at Deloitte looking at innovation for, for a part of the, the, the Deloitte business. And the big concern there was change was coming, that clients, you know, expectations of, of, the, of the work and the services were changing. And that, you know, technology was, was, was the big reason for that. There was a, there's a, I think there still is a big concern that technology is going to come along and disrupt 
the model that is, you know, Big Four Consulting and, and you know, other consultant firms, I'm sure, are similar. So I think all the things you've just talked about are true and perhaps been accelerated by COVID, like the work location is obviously a big, has been a big shift. But I think even before COVID, there was talk of how much of the services we offer should be done by humans. You know, how much should actually be automated? How much should this move from a person engagement to actually you go on to a, a, a marketplace, an online marketplace, and you, you know, you choose the services uh, that way. Um, and, you know, do, does does consulting get commoditized, you know, and, and productized and all these sorts of things were kind of questions we were, you know, asking ourselves and coming up with lots of experiments in, in, in uh, everything from so spreadsheet models all the way through to fully blown software as a service kind of online offerings. So, no, I think it's a very valid point. You're right, there's a lot spoken about it, but I think there is a lot changing. And I think, uh, you know, here in the UK, we've already seen most of the consultancies come out and say, right, no longer need to work in the office. You, 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 go and you work from home or wherever you need to work from, which I think has gone down pretty well. I think they needed to do that to continue to attract talent. Oliver, you started, this was before the pandemic. What was mm -hmm. the concern prior to the pandemic, right? I mean, because I, I mean, if I'm a consultant company, I, I think normally I'm looking along saying, man, this train is humming down the track, right? We know how to do what we're doing. We got people on board, they're paying us. What was the concern at the time? What did they, what dangers did you foresee? So the, the, there's the threat from technology uh, firms that, you know, I mean, Wendy touched on this before we hit, hit the record button, but almost the Amazon for, for, for um, business services, right? So could consulting services or professional services get commoditized to the point where technology firms are now offering them? So they're taking the IP and, you know, they're building AI models or they're, you know, building bots or they're building whatever in order to kind of offer these services. So I, I think the, the big concern was, you know, is our revenue stream sustainable in the medium to long term? This is actually genuinely the big firms looking at the long term. So I think, yeah, in, in, the, in the short term, things are going nicely. We've got a pipeline of clients, all good. But I think the, the looking out further, it was like, wow, you know, in, in, in 10 years, the disruption we're seeing to our clients, that's surely going to come to us. And let's get ahead of that curve rather than playing catch up. Now, I think the interesting thing then is how much of that do you try and do yourselves internally? versus like looking at what's going on in the startup space and, and just sort of go on an acquisition spree. And so there was, this, yeah, there's been a, I think I've seen a bit of that. You've seen almost certainly consultancies buying up data analytics, sort of niche sort of um, consultancies and, and, and other more technology enabled sort of um, players so that their offering can be broadened out, right? So I think genuinely it was a medium to long-term concern about revenues. Yeah, but I mean, as you go to that, right? I mean, if you're in a consulting firm, and I just I want to ask the question because I think you guys have this figured out. I don't think that I do, right? But in this space, right? Each of those, I mean, I'm as a consultancy, I'm adding skills all the time because I think I can sell those skills to other people. That's the way I'm headed down this, right? But those aren't structural changes. You know, today I need to add this, tomorrow I need to add that. That doesn't change how I do business. Do you do you feel like there was some was there anything that was a larger concern? I mean, because I think when we look at what COVID did, right, or it's not as much COVID as the response to it, the lockdown changed where people work. And now it's like, hold on a second, I still got to deliver value. But these cats are not all sitting in an office together yeah. anymore. And I got to I got to figure out how to solve that problem, right? The, That's the structural. Piece, the other piece of the equation was uh, what they called the cost jaws problem. 
and that revenues were being squeezed, so prices were being squeezed, and costs of labor, uh, cost of consultants and, and, and uh, salaries were going up. So there was this kind of concern that, that the profitability was being eaten away and eaten away. And so actually the other dimension to this was, how do we make our consulting offerings more profitable um, so that they're more sustainable for the longer term? So there was kind of, yeah, two pieces to this. It was one that kind of, we don't want to be completely blown out of the water and disrupted by some technical offerings coming to the marketplace. But also if we, if we project out our cost curve into the next sort of five, 10 years, it's not looking good. And we need to therefore change our operating model, automate stuff that we can automate and you know, use bots and so on. And, and, and uh, also... Um, make the job more appealing by taking away the kind of, you know, admin and, and um, grunt work, as it were, in inverted commas, so that the, the role is more exciting. Yeah. Yeah. No, along along that lines, like when I was at Booz, you know, one of the things that was really prominent in, in the thinking is some of that commodity type work, right? You know, make the slide, you know, align all the page numbers, all that sort of stuff should be like, we should have, and we did, we would have like teams of people somewhere else doing that kind of thing. Because to your point, didn't make sense to be paying somebody X amount of dollars to be putting a period at the end of every sentence and, and that sort of thing. So, but there was this other idea that like, well, now, wait a second, if we figured that out, is there, is someone going to come up with like the legal zoom of consulting, right? Where you just go and give me a board presentation and boom, $5 or like Fiverr, right? It's like, you know, and if you, by the way, if you go on Fiverr, there are people out there offering, you know, services, you know, I, you know, they're probably like associates or something somewhere at some big firm. And they're like, I will create the board deck for you, right? I will create the board presentation for you. I will create your business plan. I will do all of this stuff. Now, what, I don't know what you get for five bucks, but the, the point would be is like, there's a, that commoditization right now. That's the, but that's the big firm perspective. I'm curious, Wendy, I mean, you You've started firms yourself, right? And you have, by the way, we should we should point out you have a great series on LinkedIn about starting a business architecture practice. Um, people should check that out. But I want to get your perspective, having like started this, you know, the not big company perspective. Well, I'll tell you it. I mean, the the backdrop of my mind, I'm like opportunity, opportunity. I mean, regardless of what the the big firms are doing, you know, disrupt. By the way, this is all trademarked and um, (laughs) (laughs) exactly the Amazon of of services. Right. Um, No, but I think this is tremendous opportunity. I won't say it's inevitable, but there's so many consultants that don't maybe will maybe start at a big firm, but don't want to stay there. Or there's Oh, so many people that could even move into consulting that aren't in consulting today that this opens up the opportunity for. So, I mean, whether it's well, I'll come back to this point in the big firms, but um, this is interesting. Is there one big platform? Do the firms have some sort of a hybrid model and they're thinking this way internally? Do we have a lot of syndicates that are sort of specialized for different niches, all of the above? But what I think is so interesting, too, is it, um, especially uh, for the big firms, it calls into question, what's the value? What's the value? You know, so for clients, I want to have somewhere I can go with low friction. I want you to, here's the expertise I need, or here's the capacity I need. And I can, you know, get rid of you when I'm done, you know, comes out of a certain budget, whatever it is. Uh, and then on the, on the, uh, uh, employee side on the consultant side, when I'm starting my career, I can learn. We've had a lot of great episodes talking about mentoring and networking. But beyond that, it's again, low friction. Okay. I'm getting a pipeline that comes to me. 
uh, benefits, right? Uh, money, obviously. But but what's interesting is even things like benefits and depending on what country you're in, those things start to become irrelevant. So it's like things point more and more to the opportunity of platform, I think. My two cents. Yeah. And building on that, what was really interesting um, talking to new graduates coming in was some of them would say, well, hang on, if I have this amazing idea that leads to like software as a service revenues of X million, what, what do I get for that? You know, so there was this, it started to turn on its head what, what the model, and of course, this then starts to get the firm really, really worried. It's like, no, 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 the model is, it's a pyramid and you, you work your way up the pyramid. Not, not someone comes in with this, you know, who's amazing at coding and all of a sudden creates this amazing part of the platform that you just described and, and therefore then feels entitled to, I don't know, partnership because they did that. So it, but it, it, but potentially you kind of look at it and go, well, hang on, don't they? Because they have just created a massive revenue stream that perhaps would have taken them traditionally many, many years to have built up the client base and the revenue stream traditionally. So actually, aren't they entitled to something there? So it, it really starts to call into question a whole lot. And, that, and this is why it, it's making the big firms nervous, I think, is because technology has the ability to disrupt the internal kind of promotion cycle as much as, you know, the way that the customers are served. So it's, it's a fascinating one. Yeah, I think, isn't it the, um, it's incumbent upon the firm in that situation. You give a specific example where someone says, well, you know, what's my piece of this action? But it's incumbent upon the firm to make it really clear that because of their longevity, because of their reputation, that introduction was possible. That wouldn't have been because no one's going to take Phil Yanov into a multi-billion dollar company and think that he on his own can solve this problem. We and all know that's that he could. He will put him in there and he will fix that problem. And, and it might be. The thing is, but someone, but on, we know that, right, that the deal was this. I think, I wanted to answer, I'd love to hear Wendy answer Wendy's question, but what is the value of a consultancy, right? Why do people bring in consultants? And I think a part of this is to affect a change that they know is politically unfeasible using only internal resources, yeah. right? I need yeah. to bring in a coach that says you're fat in order to lose weight. That is how that happens. Yes. And, and you know, and I, I, I appreciate the drill down on that because removing friction, mm, I don't really need a big consulting firm to do that. I can go get my as a service, right? But Phil, I think you, you nailed, I think it's, um, it's that external and I think it's a trust. It's a weight and a trust is probably some of the biggest uh, value that firms will bring then. Right. I mean, there was, you know, there, there, well, there still is, but it's, it's, you know, way pre COVID, right. Going back a decade, there was this effort and, you know, Oliver, you've talked about it before in the big firms to productize things, right. And come up with subscription models to sup, you know, supplement declining revenue or, or, uh, you know, revenue squeeze and margin squeeze and, you know, productizing models and productizing things and giving them spiffy names, like, you know, whatever it's the health launch platform and we'll help you figure out, you know, all this crap. Right. Um, but the point of that is, you know, I think historically the IT firms, the IT consulting firms, they were most at risk for the, the scenario you described earlier, because you got these people that normally write code. Now they're writing code for someone else. Maybe they could just write code for themselves. Right. There's this whole thing they can create their own stuff. I don't think that that touched the big firms until right they started they started getting the, the into the product space because now you got people that are like, well, I, I can do this on my own. I can launch this you know off on my own, and I, I can find smart people to help me. So so I wonder like all of these things that we talked about, how is that going to change 
the future going forward? We've talked a little bit about the past, but how does that change going forward? How are these firms going to adapt or will they die? So the problem they have to solve, right, is they have created their own internal religion, their shared shared fictive reality, right, of saying, listen, we all come together and we do this thing. We make big changes to big companies. And now people don't have to come to the church anymore. They're all separated. They're all out in the world. And everyone feels agency. And this is disrupting, I think, what's going on. And you got to figure out how does the shared fictive reality of my large consulting firm, how am I still bringing value, not just to the customer, but to the consultants? Because that is how I get us all to act together. I, I also think that consultancies need to learn from how the internet has been shaped, right? I mean, I may have talked about this before in previous episodes, but you think about now, the best consultancy firms with the remote sort of working model, the hybrid working model, need to look at things like the crowdsourcing sort of platforms that are out there, need to look at resource optimization and, and you know, work scheduling and all that sort of stuff in, in, a, in an internet sort of based way. And if you look at, you know, how the Mozilla browser or how uh, the Linux operating system was written, that was written with people all over the world, you know, over the internet. So there's a degree of learning from some of these technical projects. And how do you kind of bring some of that to a consulting sort of, you know, organization and operating model so that you can get the efficiencies of people working at scale rather than relying on <clears throat> the in-person relationships and the in-person kind of communication channels of the past. So I think there's a bunch of things they need to figure out. But Chris, to your point, will, what will they look like and, and will they disappear? I think if they embrace a kind of degree of, you know, digital uh, product and solution uh, mindset, and you know, thinking about product managers as much as senior managers, right, within the firm, or um, thinking about how they codify or how they kind of go data-driven, then I think they will survive. If they continue to try and, you know, sell the old model, I think clients are going to increasingly go, well, you know, you're out of touch. You know, I, I want someone who understands how to use analytics to solve this problem, how you can use AI models to look at my customer segmentation or whatever, whatever the problem is that they're, they're faced with i think you know as long as that happens or they're looking at acquiring perhaps you know innovative firms in their sector you know in their in, if it's a retail you know example if there's an innovative startup that's that's you know, doing some clever stuff with pricing or retail pricing whatever they're acquiring that or, or or looking at kind of replicating that in some way i think they'll continue to be relevant i think if they try and stay in the past think they'll get away with it in some industries, but in, in certainly in tech and in, you know, pharmaceuticals and some of the other sort of faster moving industries, I, I just think they will struggle to remain relevant. What I really like about this conversation too, and what I, what I think is a way forward is um, it really brings things back to doing the right thing for humans, uh, whether those are the people that we that that work for us as consultants, you know, to our point about giving credit for ideas and, and things like that a agency, I really like that word, Phil, or whether it's doing the right thing for the client, we were we were sharing an article around, you know, don't not just wanting to prepackage solutions and materials, but clients want it customized or clients expect, you know, strategy to not be done and sort of old fashioned sort of, um, you know, you know, we're, we're iterative, right? So I think um, it's a really good force to just disrupt and, and, and force us to do the right things for the people too. 
So that's an interesting point that you made, Wendy, because I think, you know, when we look at, you know, what it, what is, what is a person who is working in one of these big companies or a small company or doing their own thing? What do they have to do differently, regardless of whether the McKinsey survives or not? What, is, what does the person have to do going forward? You know, it, it, I mean, is it a, like I need to upskill? I need to do things differently. I need to have a product. I need to have a portfolio, a book, right, um, that I bring to clients. What, what's, what are the, some of the things that some of these people can do to sort of uh, navigate, I guess, going forward? Anybody? I think they need to be well connected. It goes back to our networking conversation we had the other day, another episode. Um, so not just to be networked with your subject matter expert peers, but also the guy in analytics or the guy in AI or whatever, so that you're, you can go and have that conversation of, oh, clients brought me this problem, and I would normally solve it this way, but what, what, what would your take be on this? Is there a new novel way of, of delivering value to the client here that perhaps I've not thought of? Yeah. And in my experience, that was often the best situation where you had someone with a client problem coming to a technical specialist rather than the other way around, rather than the AI people going, do you know what? We should be all over this financial modeling thing that you guys are doing. That was completely the wrong way around, right? Because it's technology trying to find an answer. Whereas yeah. the, be- the better way around was, I remember there was a great example of someone looking at the due diligence through the IPO process. And they came to us and they had like mapped out the whole thing and they'd identified where there was duplication and potential for automation. And that was great because it was very much customer problem centric, right? Rather than trying to just be disruptive for disruptive sake, which let's face it, some of the other projects were very much like that, right? Oh, we just need to be doing AI in, in, in regulation. So let's do something. Right. And it's like, well, no, that's not really the right answer. You know, along those lines, I think, you know, the, the, um, the, the threat to disruption, right, is... I think remains in some of those, like if, if, if I'm a client and I already know what I want to do, I just don't have the time to do it. I, I think if you're in that space, historically, that's been very good. I think going forward, those are the kinds of things that begin to get automated, I think, right? Like I need someone to develop a bunch of code. Well, hell, in you know five years, you just push a button and the code will be generated, right? Kind of thing. So I think those roles which historically were very lucrative for consultants and things like that. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'll show my age here. I, I'm going to be the best Lotus Notes developer on the planet, right? That sort of thing. And, you know, <laughs> bless those guys. Those um, were you know, the days, my friend. <laughs> power builder. I'm going, to, I'm going to know power builder better than anyone else. Power um, builder. I just brought yeah. that up myself today. <laughs> I was just on a client call yesterday and they were talking about Lotus Notes. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, oh, so, so what you're saying is there's still room for that somewhere, but I, right. you know, I think, you know, those people that was, that was lucrative, you know, uh, developers, et cetera, et cetera. I think increasingly those things are going to get automated, right. Or pieces of it are going to get automated. The whole DevOps uh, way of, of dealing with development in an agile fashion and lots of automation, all that sort of stuff. I think there's room though, on the end, I, I, I want your perspective on this because I think there's room on the other end. For people that help clients think about problems that maybe the client didn't know they had, right? I don't know how you automate some of that. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, if you think about this, because I, you know, when I was, when Oliver's talking, I'm thinking, could you really DoorDash your way or Uber your way to technology or to consulting projects? And the answer 
is no, because it's it's not we're not performing the same discrete task again and again. We're performing a heuristically complicated task. And really what the consultancy is bringing is the ability to coordinate a wide variety of skills and capabilities into a space and get those people to do that thing. It's the ability to move together because look at it. These these companies existed 50 years ago, they're just doing something different. They were doing it with different technology. But what they're real, what they're what you're really bringing to the table is the ability to coordinate and de deliver a complicated task. I think that's the real promise. To your point, to Oliver's point, the simple stuff, the trivial stuff will be automated. Yes, we don't want humans doing stuff that we could have a bot doing easier. We want them thinking about the hard stuff so we can get better at what we do. That's yeah. my thinking. Well, that's the common sense answer, but unfortunately, a lot of firms are still stuck in there. But I don't want to automate the thing that I'm billing the clients several thousand, you know, dollars an hour or just for a day, or maybe True. even an hour to do. So it, it, I, not everyone is on that is on that page. Um, but the other thing you just described, I think you've just described the modern or futuristic model of consulting, which is I won't just bring people to this problem. I will bring a whole, as you say, a whole spectrum of different answers and capabilities. To the problem, I, I think those that are still stuck in the old mindset is, oh yeah, I'll just chuck a whole load of, you know, uh, associates and, and managers and so on your project and we'll, we'll get it done. I think the yeah, to your point, it's the ones that come up with the kind of the right answer, the right combination of skills and automation, arguing the ones that are the most successful firms we move forward. So, so cross-functional capabilities, I'm going to bring that to the table and help you do delivery assurance and do it slightly better. Than the client can do themselves and, and by that i mean be just ahead of the customer the, the client in terms of you know analytics or ai or you know because some of these skills are really difficult to hire right i mean like hiring a good ai person is, is really really difficult right well that's so, only because they're in demand right now and it's a fairly still infant type of hmm. technology once it's lotus notes there'll be all kinds of people right all over the place that know that It'll be commoditized. And, and I mean, so, you know, it's a struggle, right? If you, if you go to a client and you say, ah, you have a problem with SAP, let me put a person in there for $300 an hour to help you with that SAP problem. And they look at that and they say, wait, wait a second, isn't that like, you know, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars a year if it's a FTE? I could just hire somebody for 60 grand to bang on the keyboard and fix that problem. Why do I need your consultant? I mean, there still might be reasons they didn't want that, right? They have political reasons they don't want to put overhead or their budget says that they're going to go do this. Or I remember talking to a very large company one time that said, we outsourced the whole thing and moved our employees over there because we didn't want to have to fire them. We wanted the consultancy to fire them and then we'd bring it back later, right? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Did I work I mean, for this company? I feel like I worked for that company. I don't think you did. <laughs> But, but that was their plan. That was their plan from the beginning. We have a, and it was, we have a historical, you know, in our world, we don't fire people, but we did move a whole bunch of people over to a consultancy. They fired them. And then we brought some of it back in house later. Wow. But the, yeah, to, I think there are lots of reasons that this gets done. And I was, you know, because I was sitting there thinking, it's like, all right, I mean, no one really hires a consultancy to be a bucket brigade, right? I mean, they're doing complicated stuff. They're not just moving the data. You know, everybody's doing the same thing. But in fact, sometimes you do. I mean, I can think of places where you brought in somebody said, you know what, we needed to move this data from this system to that system. Automating it is a problem because it requires human review. So guess what? 
people with fingers are going to put this data into the new system. That's the way it's going to happen. So, so with all this, because I mean, like, you know, you know I, I, we've talked about, right, the need for sort of, you know, value-based things and outcomes being delivered to clients. Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of people would say, and already you touched a little bit on it, right, which is like, well, you need, you need to know a lot about maybe something very... Um, this right maybe it's like if i i am the only one that knows uh ai and ml with you know in uh in uh reading or wherever or where where do you live you live somewhere west Cambridge. london wherever it is yeah um, tadford <laughs> beddington pool yeah um <laughs> <laughs> right it's like if you're the if you're that guy right i mean there's a period of time where that skill is going to be in real demand i wonder though about like focusing on a specific thing a specific, even a specific industry, right? I'm the pharma guy, right? It's like, yeah, well, how far does that really go, right? I, I, I mean, think it's it's about choosing sort of some technical specialism and some industry specialism, if I can say that word, um, and and just constantly sort of evaluating, you know, is this as a consultant? So for the cats on the ground, as I like to say, thinking about, you know, I, I, is my current skill set? Does it still have currency, you know, in the in the medium to longer term, or actually, do I need to bring my existing sort of analytical or technical skills to a different industry that hasn't quite, you know, grasped this yet? So a laggard industry, or is it actually time for me to look at the next, uh, you know, shiny thing? I mean, obviously, not getting too, you know, hooked on the hype, overhyped technologies, but it, but I, I think there is a blend of that moving forward. I don't think it's enough to just be a really, really good financial uh, compliance person anymore. I think you've got to add something else to the mix. In, in yeah, to the point where you niche down on that, right? You can actually charge more. I mean, I, you know, being old, I can remember points in my career where I went, well, if I add this skill set, I can raise my billing level. I can add a zero to my billing rate. And I did. And that's what I did. And I, I think that's that still exists, right? And just sort of maybe two underpinnings to that, too. I mean, not to state the obvious, but the ability to keep flexing and flexing and flexing because things are new things are coming so much more often. So that that itself is a skill, as well as I think what you guys were saying earlier around the problem solving and those sort of ability to mentally play with business models and see things in modular, componentized way and productize things because that is not only valuable thinking for clients, but even, you know, what we can bring to the table as consultants. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I was asked a question recently, um, you know, would I, would I rather be the person thinking, helping the client think big thoughts or the person helping them implement the things that someone else thought of? And the answer is clear. I want to be the first guy. Right. And so to me, part of that, this is going to sound um, how is this? This is going to sound opposite to the argument I think I was making, but I think, you know, I think part of that is an ability to think, to be, to, to be able to be a genericist, right? In other words, you know, yes, um, maybe I have some specific knowledge and that's why I'm here to help you with this kind of thing. But I also need to be able to bring it up a level and think broader, right? That cross-functional thing. If, 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 every, if I'm an Oracle guy and every answer is Oracle, like, that's not going to work, right? Going, I, don't, I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to be that guy that I only have one answer and it's the thing that I know, right? I want to be the guy that's like, I'm okay with ambiguity. I'm okay with dealing with something that I've never dealt with before. I'll figure that bit out, right? And, and, getting, and go from getting there. Getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, um, comfortable being uncomfortable. I think that's a key skill. 
That's going to be my final takeaway, by the way. So let's talk about what, what are your final takeaways? Well, Chris, I think my final takeaway is I'm going to just steal it. I'm going to rip it off, Oliver. Be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think, you, I think you'll do fine. What do, you, what do you guys think? Phil, what, what's, what's your takeaway here, your final thought for the cats on the ground? Well, I mean, I think in all of these, right, it, this, this isn't going away. There's not, the, you know, maybe some stuff at the bottom falls off, et cetera. But for people who are good at understanding the pain of their client and coming up with a believable promise on how to take it and how to solve that problem for them and a believable future, the place they want to go. There's plenty of work. And I think this continues to be, and it'll be across different skill sets. And I, I, I really like the thing that Oliver said in particular, which was to, you know, you've got to take your skill, technical skills, and map it against some industry knowledge. And though the money is made at the intersections, right? And I, again, you may not be at this money, the high value activities, right? Ability to have, live with impact, ability to do things that are interesting and valuable. Large groups of people are done at intersections. Um, you know what? There's a, there's a book that actually comes to my mind um, that this conversation is inspiring. And it's called The Human Edge, so I can't take credit. But, um, but in this book, it talks about being a more human human, right? And I think there's a lot of takeaways in that. And those are four Cs, curiosity, creativity, um, consciousness, which is sort of like the, the, the broader meaning, and collaboration. And I think if we, as uh, consultants and employees, really focus our, our, our growth and development around that, and if we, as consulting companies, remember that those are the important things, I think those are good ways forward. I think that's great. Oliver, final word, but you don't get to use the idea I ripped off of you. You can't say No, that's it. fine. <laughs> that, 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 that's cool. You, you, you've outsourced that one. That's good. I did, yeah. Um, no, I really like what Wendy just said, actually, the, the, the being more human piece. Um, but I would add to that, how can you potentially be the product manager of the service you offer? Because if you can be the first to productize and become that sort of manager of that service or solution or whatever it is, then, you know, I think you're, you're able to kind of get ahead of perhaps all the other people at the same grade as you who potentially will have to either go and look for the next industry technology cross-section that is relevant for them and their skill set, or we'll also be looking to be the product manager of, of the service that's, that's become you know, what you do. And of course, this depends on how creative versus sort of codified your sort of area already is. So in the kind of compliance space, it's lots of data, lots of modeling and things like that, which is one of the areas that I spend a lot of time in. In other areas, you know, it's far more creative uh, and it's not, it's, it's not so you know, um, commoditizable, if that's even the word. But yeah, no, my, my takeaway, I, I, I like what Wendy said about being, being human, because that's ultimately, as, as, as people... If you're buying people in the consultant service, that, that, that element, as long as that exists, that piece is really, really important. But I think it's about looking at the future of what you do and how it's sold and how it's relevant to the consulting firm you work for. Good stuff. Thank you, guys. Um, Phil Yanoff, Wendy Keen, Oliver Cronk. I'm Chris Lockhart. We'll see everybody next time. And don't forget to go to the, the YouTube channel and click like and subscribe. And you too can find out all our new stuff every time it comes out. Thank you very much. See y'all later.